0: As I was thinking of this morning's text, I don't know if this is a universal experience by those of you who are in this room uh, or if it was unique to me, but for an experience nonetheless, I would ask you to go in your mind to your first day of school, maybe push beyond college, grad school. I'm not asking you to remember this won't make sense to you if you're thinking this way like a week ago at the semester in grad school. This won't make sense for you. Go earlier with me, if you would. For some of you, a long time ago, all the way back into those uh, elementary days, perhaps, or junior high for me, do you remember the first day of school each year? For me, if I could take you into my experience, it might be weird, may not. I was excited to go back. So as the summer began to kind of wind down, uh, I was bored doing whatever it was I was allowed to do throughout the course of a summer. And it was time to go back, see my friends again, and I was excited because that meant for me, I got to wear a new pair of pants, new shoes, a new shirt even, and so school mattered for that first day for me because that was what I was excited about doing. And then to top it all off, I can remember for myself pulling out my new pens followed by my man version, that is, key distinction, man version of the current Lisa Frank technicolored unicorn folder. I love that first day. Man version of the Lisa Frank. However, I would uh, probably I would assume we have this in common. If we have established some sense of common baseline experience for the first day, it is that, however, not even the coolness of my man version of the latest Lisa Frank Technicolor unicorn folder could hide the reality of how I had spent my summer. There I was in my, my BK nights. I can remember my British night tennis shoes. I was there and my stonewashed jeans, and I was ready, I had my pens, right? All kinds of those little like plastic pencil replacements that you could like stick in and keep pulling out, I was, I was ready, I was ready. But the substance, there was something lacking, because inevitably, if you recall, inevitably, there was a brief subject assessment test that was given to everybody, even if they had British knights stonewashed jeans of sorts and a man version of the Lisa Frank Technicolor Unicorn Folder, you still had to take the brief subject assessment test. And I think like it, it was probably looking back, it was, it, it was, they knew what we did with our summers. I, I think it was, it was perhaps even more so, I, I, I did that in seminary as well. In an Old Testament theology class, the professor was the same. We had all had to like take a, a really uh, odd walk through the Old Testament. And it, it, it wasn't just to uh, uh, help him understand where to begin. And it really isn't at that time either. In elementary, late elementary, early junior high, if you now, like John Parker, if you're still doing this to your students, I'm assuming at this point there's a level of awareness that's being shown to the students of how much it is that they have to learn. And we all knew what was about to be pointed out to us through this brief subject assessment test, and it is something like this. Ain't much learning having been done this summer. It's probably the propositional statement on top of our brief subject assessment test. They knew that. And now we're painfully aware as well that the technicolor unicorn folder will not hide us from the reality of how we had spent our summer. And in the nature of our text this morning, we might hear something along the lines of this from our current teacher about math. That was for me a burden to bear. About math, I have much to say. And it is going to be hard to explain, since this summer you have become dull of hearing. You see, as the text has been read for you, not a lot has changed in the concern of the Apostle from the first century church to the 21st century church. As I have opportunity to read of many ministries just given my profession in ministry, my vocation in ministry, a calling to be a pastor of a local church and involve myself with uh, all that is taking place in local church ministry and trying to stay plugged in, trying to uh, preview the landscape so that you can see where is Redeemer? How are we as a body? What's going on around and about us? And you realize as you read a text... Like Hebrews 5, not a lot has changed by way of the concern for the church. You see, we have, it is a bit of an indictment, we have labored very hard as evangelical ministries. We have labored very hard. Currently, we're very intensely laboring on looking ready for school. That is, if I could critique, I'm not bagging on relevant messages. I'm not bagging on them. I, I, you know, we all could use a good dose of relevant conversation. And so the minister needs to improve, needs to continue to develop, needs to make the text make sense for an audience. So I'm not bagging on relevance but we have spent a lot of time looking ready for school by what we call relevant messages. If you look at the language of relevant messages, if you go to various church websites, and this, again, I have no particular ministry in mind, but if you look at the evangelical landscape, When we speak for years now, and now very intensely, about relevant messages, we must, hey, come to our church. We have the coveted relevant message. What we find out, if you just go past the website, and you sit and you hear, what we have done is fall prey, in my estimation, to joining with the larger cultural narrative. The ministries have, the people of God have. In this term, relevance, it is that we also buy into the cultural narrative, the pressing concern that the past is inferior to the present. That's what we mean. That's what we're saying. There's implications for us there. That is, that which was spoken in time is no longer authoritative. It's not. It was said in time, as in like a long time ago. We have relevant messages. Again, I'm not bagging on it. Uh, In some sense, not every person is is impregnating the term relevant with shallow and, and... brand new. But if we look at it, if we consider it, do we think that way? That what was said in the past is inferior to what is being said in the present. It is therefore no longer authoritative or even really very helpful. What was said in time Consider another way in which we are currently struggling and striving to look ready for school is what we call fresh takes on faith. Or perhaps it is phrased this way a faith, quote, for a new generation. The way in which we're looking ready is only to reveal our bias, our joining with the cultural narrative as the church, that the truth is socially constructed. Truth is plural in nature, and if we really press the matter. A faith for a new generation, that is a fresh take on the faith, will prove that perhaps it is even inaccessible. And perhaps you think, you're pushing these these terms a bit far. I don't think I am. It reveals a bias that we are all, each one of us, susceptible to. What is relevant is something that is found brand new right now. And what is needed for the faith to be strengthened is something that's fresh. Something that is for a new generation. A new faith for a new generation. Truth is socially constructed. We don't need a fresh take. It reveals a bias that makes us look ready for school, but when a brief subject assessment is given, thirdly, consider with me, thirdly, a revisionist Jesus. The way we look ready for school is an updated take and view of the man Jesus, which reveals our bias in joining with a cultural narrative that we don't want Christian language, we don't want propositions, we want journeys. We want pathways. We want stories. This makes the man Jesus more palatable because he can be swallowed up and contained into the ideas of a journey. A way forward. And we can then Tone down his propositions because he's an idea. So we can speak of him lovingly and adoringly in terms of peace, shalom, maybe, kindness, mercy, and altogether avoid his teaching, his propositions his truth claims, his exclusivity. Because we want journeys. That's fresh. That's relevant. And that leaves us, the church of the 21st century, currently looking ready for school. But I would submit to you that this relevant, fresh, and revisionist Christianity that we are so striving to have and create, to grow a church by, to expand our horizons with is just another Lisa Frank technicolor unicorn folder, man version or female version. That if we explore relevancy, I mean get relevant or die, our fresh take on faith or a new faith for a new generation or a revisionist Jesus who only speaks in vague terms about journeys, ways, and pathways leaves the church in a position where we cannot hide. Consider all three of those. Elisa Frank Technicolor Unicorn Folder. That when the subject assessment test is then given, you cannot hide underneath that folder. I couldn't take my man version, open it, lay it on top of my head, and not have to take the assessment test. She's like, oh, that's right. You do have a Technicolor Unicorn Folder. You don't have to take the test. It's shallow. Even the best sneakers, British knights at that time, can't prevent the truth from coming out. Ain't much learning been done. So it is with the apostle as he describes. In substantive biblical terms... The church has become dull of hearing. We look ready for school, but we're not. We have a full finish. And this is a concern for the 21st century as well as currently, right now, perhaps. Of course, I'm only in this generation, but it feels, right? Like perhaps now, more than ever, it's so escalated. Chasing after everything, but that which is substantive. This morning, it is my aim then, if this stands up to this point, it is from this point forward then, my aim or burden this morning to demonstrate to each individual here, to our congregation at Redeemer, It is my aim to demonstrate through this text how doctrinal growth, that is, not ways, journeys, and ideas, but in our journey, we're learning concrete propositional truth. It is my burden through this text to demonstrate how doctrinal growth is a serious issue for every Christian. Not just me, because it is my vocation or it is my task to think and speak in a particular way. But every one of us as believers, this is a serious issue for every individual Christian. This lack of substantive growth is a grave concern for the apostle. And it is our conviction that the text that did speak in the first century continues to speak in the 21st century and is a grave concern for the church today. Notice Verse 11, if you would, with me begin as I seek to demonstrate that doctrinal growth is a serious issue for you. Every individual could raise their hand at this point, and I'm engaging, hopefully, I am engaging you, each one, in a one on one growth through this text. Verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing." Here the apostle begins, and I want to kind of take that analogy of my math teacher giving us a brief subject assessment test that now... It's all over, right? You're in your desk, I'm in my desk, and the teacher is beginning to walk through the room and pass out the sheets on our desk, irrespective of our Lisa Frank folders. Forget about it. It's under your desk at this point. It doesn't shield. We all have to now take out either a new pencil that is cool or an old one. That isn't. A facade will not shield substance. So here we begin. And with this analogy, we see the apostle offer to the church, operate off of to the church, a brief subject assessment test. And notice the subject, verse 11. Right there, right at the very beginning of verse 11, about this, we have much to say. Now as a Bible reader, as one engaged in the text, you recognize, it, obviously, he must be talking about something that's already been covered. About this, he's, he's bringing in a second point on an already stated position, or a description of a subject, and so it is about this. Most broadly, we could jump to chapter 6, and look forward first, and just say, most broadly, in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, therefore, let us leave. This is where he's going to go in the operational procedure from here, but he says right here, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. So, already about this is being described in 6 1 later, and it's already more narrowly been described in chapters 1, 2, and 3 to this point about this the doctrine of Christ most broadly. Teaching regarding Christ, the virgin birth, it's more than Christmas. There's more there for you. Easter season in the church. In the doctrine of Christ, there's more than finding eggs in your apartment. It's true. There's more than the bunny. About the doctrine of Christ. His passion on Good Friday. There's more there for you. About Him being your substitute. Wrath bearing. The agonies, both physically and spiritually, of our Lord in Gethsemane. His resurrection. It's important that you remember it's physical. Because there's promise based upon that about your physical resurrection. His ascension to the Father reigning right now over the saints who have died and gone before us. In an intermediate kingdom also known as the Millennial Kingdom, where He reigns right now over the people He's purchased on the cross and have died and been raised. Not a hair on their head has perished. And He's returning. You will see Him. He will descend. And he will destroy death. And the sin that so easily entangles you now will be forever removed. About this, we have much more to say. The doctrines of Christ. But more narrowly, he's speaking about this so we have a broad category of what it means to the church to grow in the doctrine of Christ to know him beyond a moment of going forward in a service somewhere to know him as your Lord he is a friend of mine to know him about this we have much more to say And he speaks most specifically, if we could go from the broad category, of the doctrine of Christ, your Lord, Savior. It moves to his high priestly work on your behalf. What he's been laboring to point out to us, the glory of Christ who has been raised and then intercedes on behalf of the people he's purchased. He has been raised, and he now intercedes for you. According to your weakness, he provides strength. In your need, in your hour of burden, he provides grace and mercy. This is what he's been describing. The glorious work of Christ as your high priest. And there's so much more to say about it. But there is a challenge to his Being able to speak more clearly, more concisely, more boldly about this priestly ministry to all of us. There's a challenge in the 21st century church as there was in the 1st century church. It continues to abide with the people of God in this age, a burden in hearing why. What is it that impedes his ability to more thoroughly describe this wonderful work? We'll look at it in the text of verse 11. About this, the doctrine of Christ, our Lord, Savior, High Priest. We have much to say. And it is hard to explain. Well, what is impeding? What is is stopping the the fuller explanation? Say it! I can't. Since you have become dull of hearing... He is drawing the conclusion here to the assessment. Continue through verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. The basic principles of the oracles of God. Now, there you can just, as I continue reading, just think quite simply. The basic principles would break down as, as, as each one of you would describe, I'm sure. If, if, if we were giving you a subject assessment test, you would fill it out the same way I, I would, I'm sure. The basic principles, it doesn't get more basic principally than that, right? ABCs, the, the, the basic components of your faith. Unfortunately to the church... Someone once said that the truth in the church is a challenge to keep it because it's like the nose on our face. It's so close to us that we can't actually see it. Do you see what he's describing? The people of God. Just assuming doctrinal truth. It's there. It's part of our fabric. It's the way I was raised. It's what I just heard. It makes sense to me. And then this this passion for it, this desire to grow in it, to understand more of it, tends to become, through our time with the church, tends to become like our nose. It's so close, we just don't see it anymore. And we forget it's there. Because we're not intentional about keeping it. So he says, This is your condition. The ABCs. You need to learn them again because you've assumed them away. By this time, you ought to be instructing others in them. I continue with you through the basic principles of the oracles of God. That is just another way of describing Scripture. You need milk, and we all get the picture he then goes on to describe through the assessment this is what I've gotten back from your homework. You need milk, not solid food. Adam Thomas, you need addition. We're moving on to multiplication. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, this is the indictment. This is what we found out in your behavior. You're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, keeping picture upon picture. Picture. Whereas in great contrast, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. With the subject assessment being complete, The apostle turns to the church, and I just have this feeling he would continue to speak to the church. I'm not indicting every individual in here. I'm speaking collectively of all of us, is the assessment would largely be we have moved into an area that we are dull of hearing. And I want to encourage you that through this assessment and rebuke, we learn three things about doctrinal growth and maturity. Three things about doctrinal growth and maturity through this assessment and rebuke that we learn from this text. Number one, and again, I, I, I hopefully I, I'm engaging each one of you, because we, we might feel like, yeah, but that's not my bag. It is your bag. It is, brother. It is. So let me, if I can, encourage you, help you in thinking about your own life and walk with the Lord and how it is upon you to become skilled in the word of righteousness. Three things this text points out about that growth. Number one, growth, that is doctrinal growth, is expected. Let's just begin there. It's expected. It's not the exception to the rule that some people will grow. It is the rule. It is the expectation. It is the provision of the Lord that every Christian saved by grace, every one of us, are expected to grow. Where do we get that in the text? Look at verse 12 right there. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be in this category, it is expected of you that you would grow as a believer in, dare I say it, doctrinal truth, not just grow in your journey or in your way. Or a broad tent labeled something else that leaves you so much range and so much room, there's actually nothing you're ever required to actually hold to or believe in or state or own or experience implications of your own belief. That's not the idea. It's not an idea, it's an expectation of doctrinal growth in the category of the doctrine of Christ. About this, we have much to say. They can't be hidden under a technical or unicorn folder of journey. But that journey must be fed by propositional content, doctrinal words, doctrinal categories, teaching explicitly about the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to be there. Now again, we can think maybe this is very unpastoral. Perhaps even so of the original writer when he says, my word, clean out your ears. Grow up. You're making this a lot harder on me than it has to be. Because of you, look at me. I'm yelling right now. You know, you know we, maybe you feel that way. But we find out it, it, it's deeply pastoral. Where, where does he get this idea that by now? How, how does he know? Each one of us have this, right? We can say, well, we're all different places, and we're all experiencing different levels of faith, and we're all experiencing the different levels of gift and grace and work and provision. We're all experiencing this, and it's true. It's true, it's true, 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 true. But We can tend to feel that it's so important to our defense that it provides us with an escape from being eager to grow in doctrinal understanding. It gives us a way to remain dull in our hearing. So I don't know. He, he, uh, chapter. Look look quickly at where he gets this authority. Chapter two. If you look over there just real briefly, you remember we covered this earlier. But when he says, "I know by now," this kind of language like "by now you ought to be here," he says it because he knows their journey, their propositional content that they should be learning by now. Verse three. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to how many, or to what group? To Us, by those who heard, to us. And you're like, well, what's the point, right? He is identifying with hearing the word of the Lord that brought about their conversion together. It was attested to all of us. You know, I was there with you. You were there with me. So he says, by now, hearing it at the same point, by now there is some level of expectation and a range of time that believers will grow in doctrinal understanding. And that it isn't a point of pride to know nothing That's not your boast. Quite conversely, it is your charge to get beyond that. So then it moves from number one, growth is expected. There is a range, and there are differing levels, but there is an overall shared expectation of every Christian growing by grace. Uh, number two, that we see in this text, growth is intentional. How do we see that here again in verse 12? Growth is intentional. Notice the language, for though by this time, kind of what we were just describing. So the language of ought is the language of expectation, and the duration is by this time you ought to be teachers. So again, it is intentional. That is, you're regenerated, saved by grace here in time. And then you hear the language of by this time, two points of time, with life lived in between them. You're growing in grace. That you're a believer. And about your Lord, there is much to learn. And there is much to say. There is much to be experienced. And it comes through intentions on your part. To grow from this time to this time, there's an intention that goes, it it won't just happen like tomorrow. This is a wonderful means by which we all experience growth over time, the preaching of the Word. That's what the Lord has given us as a community together, to grow from this time to this time in our lives with a lot of Sunday times together in between. So we experience intentionally making the commitment to be a part of the Lord's Day worship. This is helping me from time to time to grow by the grace of the Lord in being confronted with the Word of the Lord, being confirmed by the Word of the Lord, being convicted by the Word of the Lord. So this is a tremendous means Of intentionally growing in the Word of the Lord, learning the doctrines of Christ. This is a wonderful means, but it isn't the exclusive means of growing. Brothers and sisters, it takes intentionality on your part. think, I'm in the Lord, I want to know Him, and I'm going to set about by grace to gain in the knowledge of Him. By this time, you ought. There is an expectation, there is an intentionality, and thirdly, growth is by practice. And that is the description there in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. This is uh, those who are at this point of beginning, as continuing to mature in their growth. How did they get there? They have their powers of discernment trained. Well, how do you do that? And this kind of piggybacks on intentionality by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Growth points, exercising, biblical understanding practicing. It involves patience on your part. It takes constant practice. And this is analogous, if I could draw on the illustration of running. Running teaches us so many things about ourselves. Um, I, I think by now, I started running uh, a little over a year ago, and um, I hated it. I, I still don't love it. Um, but, it, but, it, but I have found it speak to me in so many spiritual terms um, about challenges that you face, about skipping streets that you know you're not supposed to. You need to go up that hill. I'll do it next year. Um, it, it's so analogous to your own life lived in the Lord. And... Um, it deeply instructs. Um, there's many things like that. I just can't speak to them. I'm just speaking from uh, a brief experience. But there, there is that sense in uh, all of you share in my present miseries that are signing up. And uh, uh, those of you be under deep conviction right now who have removed your name from the marathon list. Um, there's something there for you. Um, the idea that um, first day out, right? Uh, I, I started running, and I've shared this with a few of you along the way, but uh, last year's marathon is what gave me my, my uh, off-the-couch experience, and that was, um, I, I, you know, I, I thought of myself in a certain category, uh, and I thought, you know, all right, it's not going to be that bad. And um, first day out, um, I was expecting more of the verse 14 experience, where I was mature, I was eating some solid food. Um, I got out and made it about 175 yards, maybe to be generous to myself publicly. Um, and I found out I was um, not in verse 14. I, 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 I was more in my analogous energy. My lungs were hurting, my, my ribs, I thought I had broken one, um, making it around the corner. It, it, it was, an, it was a, a word to me. Um, That, again, you can kind of respond a couple of different ways at that moment, and this will be true of all of you getting started soon, Um, is this experience when you, you think right now you could run a quarter of a mile, you can't. When that occurs and that revelation comes, the assessment subject's test is provided you to show you, not the road, show you where you're at. Um there'll be a response. There will be, I thought that I was here, since I'm not, I'm withdrawing. So, I'll just go back to, for me, cheese its by the gallon. And uh, several other things that are filled with all kinds of who knows what, right? They'll live for like 30 years on the shelf. But that that's where we'll just go back. What's the point? I thought I was here and I'm not. I'm discouraged now, so I'm going to turn and just be who I really am. Um, Or we'll have this experience that will be a challenge um, where we have to be patient with ourselves, recognizing, wow, that was a uh, uh, revelation to myself that I responded that way, that I still feel that way, that I said that. And it'll be a point of discouragement Yet a great point of growth by the practicing of discernment. And then we'll experience that quarter of a mile burden and we'll push on in the doctrines of Christ, committed to practice, committed to expectations of ourselves, to grow in grace of the Lord. We'll have that experience. I'm gonna run two more squares on the sidewalk today than I did six days ago. You're going to make it. You're going to do it. You're going to get there. It's small. It's awesome. You're going to make two more squares. Be- because how do you just, do you, if you quit, if you just say, I'm saved for all time and I'm going to check out, will you ever experience the joy the doctrines of Christ that are meant for you? No. And will you in a very real way be under the burden of possibly falling away? Yes. So there is an expectation. Then there is a point of burden to get to maturity and we need to receive that burden by grace that the Lord will promote joy and growth in our lives achieving those two more squares in the sidewalk growth by effort practice challenge overcoming this is how we grow to maturity with those intentional plans. You won't, uh, here's a headliner, you're not going to run six miles if you start running May 1st and the race is on the 5th, right? We all know that. So too our life and godliness. Growth is incremental and it comes by intentional discipline. And it's not just the duty of the leadership, but every one of us. Finally, the last portion of our text this morning is right there, the teaching response. And so it is that He would respond to us. If you look there in your text at chapter 6, what does He say about those who are practicing? He encourages the church. Here is, yet again, if you look carefully, there is a pastoral Um, nature to his language here that in verse 11 he said you have become dull of hearing and now look at him partner with the church as one who shares responsibility to grow for them to grow with them to enable them to help them notice the language has changed as he encourages the church verse one he recognizes he too is a believer in Christ therefore let us do you see the pastoral tone I'm in it to win it with you, and you're in it to win it with me. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Let's do it together. Let us do it. Not laying again a foundation of repentance, faith, basic, verse 2 basic teaching and instructing. But let us leave these elementary doctrines. Here it's important to note, he is not saying the ABCs of the faith are shallow. shallow. Let's leave them behind. The language is, let us leave them as in not laying again a foundation. Here lies our foundation. Let us build upon it. Let us leave. It's not like the gospel was for you then. It's not for you now. It's in no way describing that. Let us, there is no laying another foundation. We're already on it. Let us build upon it. Let us keep going, brothers. Let us keep going, sisters. Let us together. I'm in it for you, and you're in it for me. Together, we're a community of believers. Let us together grow in maturity beyond those points of immaturity. There is an important point here I do wish to make, however, about the teaching response. Although the assessment reveals a dullness of hearing, which then creates a certain level of difficulty in explaining, do you notice the apostle continues to labor? I think in evangelicalism, that's a challenge. Do you notice he doesn't say, since you've become dull of hearing, we're just not going to speak anymore? We'd be reading an epistle that ended in chapter 5, verse 11. Do you see? It's a word to the pastors, it's a word to the congregants together. That, yes, messages need to be more clear, concise. How can we figure out how to say so much and say it like this that is helpful? But it can't be driven by immediate helpfulness. Because he doesn't stop trying to explain what is hard to learn. He just explains, it's just going to be hard on all of us. Because we don't have another option. We must grow in Christ. Well, just tell us less. I can't. There's too much to say. We together, please, this involves you as well as me. Let us together move on in our faith. And when it's hard up here, it's going to be hard down there. And it's hard for all of us. Wow, we just made it through there, didn't we? Praise the Lord. It's time to go. We feel like that sometimes. Trust me, I know you do, and so do I. Let us work to press on. Why? Why, why, why? Verse 11 and 12, as we conclude. Verse 11 and 12. And I'll come back to the rest of chapter 6 next week. But verse 11 and 12. Why so much hard work? Why do we labor? Why will we go through this difficult and challenging dance of perseverance verse 11 and we desire here it is each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish this is why we labor for hope don't be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience brothers Inherit the promises. Doctrinal growth is a serious issue for every Christian. It takes more than looking ready for school with a various form of Elisa Frank Technicolor unicorn folder. We must be listeners, we must be learners and we must grow to be teachers of Holy Scripture. Not all of us will be called to be a pastor. We could all teach and instruct one another through discipleship, through community, through small groups. We can grow to handle the word of righteousness. This ought to be a goal for each of us. And we will do this if God permits. Let us pray. Father, pray that there will be a hope that is given.